Alcha. Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for September 20th, 2023. Hello again, my name is Terrence O'Donnell, and I've come back to your digital village with more news from around the world and a discussion about something specific that I hope will get your attention. This once-a-week podcast is hosted on RSS.com and also available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and Deezer, and maybe some others I don't know about. The show is free to subscribe to for now on these mobile apps with a donation tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at RSS.com if you want to help support my activism. I want this to be shared as much as possible in order to push people to get up and make a difference in our world before it gets too late. Much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your village. A little about me. I'm an activist of Irish descent and a self-professed John King, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we are sitting under the village oak tree where I bring you headlines from news feeds and relevant blog articles that are important but sometimes lost in the shuffle of cable news. These are somewhat obscure stories about climate change, racism, politics, and social injustice. And I doubt you'll find many of these on Fox News because I never, ever pick anything up from them guys. For each article I present to you, there will be a link to read the stories in your entirety in the follow-up newsletters, which I post in medium.com, substack.com, and in the blog section of my website at crombiah.com. There's more about my website during the break. I will be taking a small break once I've given you the headlines I picked out for this week. Then after the break, I'll bring you the second half with today's special topic. In this first half, I'll have the usual mix of world politics, climate change, and racism. In the second half, I talk some more about worldwide racism still being pushed by the descendants of the white European colonizers. This week, I focus primarily on North America and Australia because of Australia's very important amendment vote coming up this year. So let's get to the stories. My first story is an LGBTQ plus story. And it's also a kind of an immigration, an internal immigration story. Queer and trans folk, America's new interstate refugees, progressive Oregon laws attract an influx of LGBTQ plus immigrants by Rand Bishop. And this is, I got this article out of medium.com here last week. It appears that Oregon is becoming the new mecca for transgender and LGBTQ folks out west. But can the state handle the soon-to-be large migration? Seems infrastructure may become a serious issue above and beyond what they're already suffering from. What about other states? How prepared are they to handle the soon-to-come mass internal migration of LGBTQ plus people fleeing these restrictive red states? I guess we're all going to find out pretty soon. And this is something I mentioned before that it's been going on now since COVID. A mass influx of internal migration is going on across the country. And now we're going to see a lot more of the LGBTQ plus people leaving states uh, out of persecution and going to somewhere safe. But the problem is, are, you know, the safer places are becoming fewer and fewer. And are they going to be, in a, be able to handle it? And this is a racism article. And then, again, another one I picked out of Medium.com by Allison Wiltz. Racism is the real reason why they want to replace Kamala Harris. They fear a black woman as president, and it shows. 
It's a very good blog article worthy of one of the mainstream news outlets. But of course, it will never make it because the author is African-American and she's talking about the vice president of the United States who is African-American along with some other family roots. And she's right here. The white now minority demographic in the United States is in a near panic over that and will do anything to remain in charge of the country. It's in their very DNA as descendants of the white Europeans who colonized North America. The future of the United States depends on everyone working together, but the white elitists don't want that. By nature, they have to be in charge, or they will go crazy and do very bad things. History has proven this out. And this one here is an immigration article. It doesn't sound like it, but it is. And this goes back to the manhunt we had last week and in, into late last week from the guy who escaped from Pennsylvania prison. The Cavalcante manhunt stirred up unsettling ideas about dangerous migrants by Sabrina Forvolius. And my neighbor's social media post about the Brazilian-born fugitive cited the need for a U.S. border wall and stoked fear that he was a member of a drug cartel. And I got this story out of Guardian.com. So it's an opinion piece written by a longtime Brazilian immigrant writer who noticed a dramatic change in her white suburban neighborhood when the escaped convict was found in her area. The white people used social media to whip up fear of all the immigrants with disinformation, and this writer became scared for them, even though she's being, been in the U.S. for 50 years. This is what my white America has been reduced to with all the rhetoric about Latino immigrants all being cartel members and labeled as rapists and murderers. Something we had a president who did that for us. Weeding out the bad apples is a good thing, but whipping up fear of other people just because they have darker skin is wrong. But what's what makes the news media money? So it's likely here to stay as long as it remains profitable. And that's the big thing. The GOP is whipping up fear of others and the media is only happy to stir the pot even more because it makes them a lot of money. Clickbait stories, as they call them nowadays. This is a Tom Hartman article that I got a few days ago from the HartmanReport.com. How the DOJ caved to Trump's poisonous political violence. It echoes the terror campaigns run by followers of Mussolini and Hitler in the early days of their rising power. Tom Harmon's daily rant poses a serious problem for the United States. Between right-wing news outlets, radio show hosts, and podcasters all out to make money at all costs, and a very unhappy GOP base listening to all this trash, the country is edging ever closer to more violent insurrections like January 6, 2021. And adding to that, labor strikes from a couple of the biggest labor unions in the country right now. The Democrats are up against the wall in some ways. Can they find a way to fight back? Well, unless they change dramatically, it doesn't look good for them right now. Here's my second Tom HartmanReport.com article. The American dream demands paid sick leave and low-cost child care. America gives a lot of lip service to the American dream, but we haven't led the world in meeting human needs since the Reagan Revolution. And this is an article about how certain things like paid sick leaves, maternity leave, things like that, are being flipped to the wayside. I mean, I can attest to that. Uh, the last company I worked for in Texas several years ago, they didn't have paid leave. They had what they call personal time off. 
and you accrued that, and that's what you had to use if you got sick, had to go to the hospital for anything, or for whatever reason you needed to take a day off, you lost your paid time off time. And then that's what a lot of companies are going to these days. It's cheaper for them, and so on and so forth. My next article is from Belene Fernandez, who writes for a lot of publications. In this case, I get her articles out of Al Jazeera. A Day in the Life of the American Dream. Many who come to the U.S. face a cruel reality of poverty and suffering, and yet the American Dream delusion persists. And again, it's another opinion piece from her. She's an expat journalist who spends all of her time living outside the U.S. to its political policies and harsh living standards. And those are her words. In this article, she talks about how the American dream is just a myth, as I have said numerous times here in this podcast. But it's perpetuated by marketing companies and social media influencers for the money, regardless of how many wannabe immigrants perish trying to come to the United States. What do they care as long as they get paid? Meanwhile, for those who do survive the trip, it's nothing but abject poverty and misery the whole time they are here. For most of them. Every once in a while, somebody makes it a leg up. But for the most part, not so much. For some, they want to return home, but they can't anymore because they don't have any money. For others, they just live until they die miserably chasing the American dream. Like a lot of native-born Americans these days. I say that to include all of these people, and I'm, I'm included in that. Not that I'm chasing the American dream, but a lot of American citizens born right here in the United States have been chasing the dream all their life because that's what they've been told to do. And they believe it. They don't think it's achievable. Well, I got news for you folks. You know, if you don't believe that, I got a Brooklyn Bridge to sell you. This one talks more about this next article I got out of USA Today. And it's, it's talking about homeless people here in the United States. A homeless man living on national forest land was shot by federal police. He's now suing by Claire Thornton. The story stands out amongst all the others regarding the out-of-control homeless situation in the U.S. now. A family unit consisting of an infant mother and two brothers, one of them handicapped, were told to move their RV off National Forest Land after overstaying their two-week allowance. When in it in, the federal police arrived without announcing themselves, according to their lawyer, shot and nearly killed one of the brothers who was already in a wheelchair. The bigger issue is that law enforcement in the U.S. is becoming more aggressive in dealing with the homeless, and more and more innocent people are getting hurt or worse nowadays. Is this part of the new U.S. policy for poor homeless people? Economics is driving them to the open road, and no one wants them. So not only does the U.S. have a refugee problem with migrants from other countries, they seem to have it out for the displaced poor and homeless natural citizens that bad economic policies have put them into poverty with more and more following every day. So that's the issue. Are we going to see more and more stories now of homeless people getting uh, putting in labor camps or killed? Who knows what in the future? Because the city managers are saying, get them out of town. We don't care how you do it. This is a kind of a, a United States internal political article. And the only reason I picked it out was because of what it entails for other states. Texas Attorney General acquitted in historic impeachment trial by Eva Ruth Marovic, Molly Hennessy Fisk, 
in MSN.com. So why is this so important that in Texas, the Republicans have subverted democracy and are doing whatever they want, regardless of the voters or anyone else who objects? From the governor's razor floats to letting a federally indicted criminal continue in office, it's all in a day's work. Texas is not a democracy anymore. It's a feudal state run by a group of authoritarian leaders. The worst part is that as Texas goes, so will other red states eventually. Then, when, when there were enough states that wanted to fight the Democrats in Washington, D.C., they'll thumb their nose at Washington, just like back in 1859, when the southern, southern senators walked out of Congress, and soon after, states started seceding and war ensued. The U.S. is headed for another secession of states soon, if things don't change. Texas is going to be leading the pack. And then this is more about the Tuberville military blockade for the generals and stuff. And this kind of this story is a little bit about the other side of the story. Troops avoid abortion travel policy fueling Tuberville blockade. A senator has stalled high-level military confirmations over a program many service members don't even use. And I got this one out of Politico.com by Lara Seligman and Joe Gould. So I agree with the DOD that the policy should remain, even though only 12 military members have taken advantage of this benefit so far, mostly due to fears of retaliation, which, according to this report, has happened. The U.S. military is and has always been a man's world, and a lot of units, women are not tolerated very well with local leadership. So when a woman with a strictly female medical issue comes forward, they are subject to local punitive measures, just because they are women and do not belong in a man's world, or so the thinking is in many military units. Tuberville just needs to let this go so the military can get back to normal and move on. He has very little to worry about as the military chain of command will take care of their own, one way or another. My next article, Inside the Next Republican Revolution, and I got this today out of Politico.com by Michael Hirsch. Whether Trump wins or not, the GOP plans a renewed assault on his nemesis, the deep state. Can conservatives train enough loyalists to actually get the job done? This is a lengthy magazine article from Politico that details the efforts of a large, influential group of MAGA enthusiasts who want to roll back liberal government policies to before Woodrow Wilson's time. They want a near-authoritarian presidential office and want to do away with a whole bunch of federal departments, giving the overseer of these offices to the president, as if the president doesn't have enough to do. They're calling it Project 2025, something Tom Hartman wrote about a couple of weeks ago, and I brought this article to everyone's attention. These are very scary people, as they want to do away with democracy as we know it, and replace it with a Hungarian-style leadership model. Even if the Democrats win in 2024, these people don't plan to stop trying to take over the country. As I said, the article is rather lengthy, so you you know, if you're really, really interested, it's something that uh, you should read and be scared of. Now I'm going to flip sides over here. I picked up an article here a few days ago from Ireland. Um, Change that cannot be denied. A letter from the road from the friends of Sinn Féin. Another letter from Karen Quinn representing Sinn Féin in the United States. In this letter, he talks about how the DUP wants direct rule from London because they are no longer the majority party in Northern Ireland, and they still, but they still want to be in charge. Well, that's not going to happen. They lost, and that's that. 
They and London are in direct violation of the Good Friday Agreement, plus a few other laws. But apparently, as long as London doesn't care, neither do they, thinking that Number 10 Downing Street has their back. Not so much, as Britain has its own problems to deal with, and the Irish are not included. They just don't know it yet. I will help any way I can to push both Irish governments to sue England over this legacy bill in the European courts. I just hope the U.S. will continue to back them up. So far, they are. And I am all about doing anything I can, you know, largely through this podcast to help with that. Mostly just bringing it to people's attention. Now we're going to get into some climate change articles. I've got a couple here from a couple of young ladies. Um, I brought their articles to your attention in the past. Now I've got two of them for you. And this is from the Heated.World articles by Ariel Sampson and Emily Atkin. These insurers are screwing the public on climate change. While major U.S. insurers drop coverage for people vulnerable to climate change, they're also investing billions in the companies that fuel it. And she's talking about fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry. Another excellent article from these two noted climate activists, this time about corporate insurance companies cutting their losses in certain states while trying to make up the losses by underwriting corporate fossil fuel companies. Apparently, homeowners insurance is starting to become a losing investment these days with all the wacky weather. So they're looking for profits anywhere they can. Morality has no bearing in the corporate world. And their next article was written just by Ariel Samuelson, How Exxon Tried to Twist Climate Science for Profit. New internal documents reported by the Wall Street Journal illustrate exactly why thousands are taken to the street to protest fossil fuels this week. And this is true. There's been protest marches all over the world against fossil fuel. Newsletter shows the damning evidence that the fossil fuel industry worldwide would do anything, say anything, to keep those profits flowing. That's what all the climate change riots are about these last few days. The evidence is out, and people are starting to wake up and get mad now, which is a good thing. California sues oil giants alleging climate risk deception in a report. Five oil majors are accused of downplaying the risk posed by fossil fuels since the 1950s, the New York Times reports. And this one came out of Al Jazeera. In a high-profile lawsuit, California is getting on board with other states and blaming the fossil fuel industry for the rapid climate change phenomena and seeks a monetary fund to fight the damage wreaked by their emissions. The planet is way beyond prevention at this point. Now it's all about mitigation, and that's expensive. Now we're going to go over to Saudi Arabia. And this came out of www.voanews.com. Water-starved Saudi confronts desalination's heavy toll. The story is making headlines all over the Middle East and Europe. Seems that the Saudi Arabian government may be struggling a bit in keeping up with the potable water demands of a growing economy. As much as the crown prince wants to modernize the desert, finding a reliable power source besides fossil fuels is becoming somewhat of an issue. Solar panels are being ramped up, but will there be enough for the growing demand? And that's the big question of the day. My next article comes back here to the United States. And this is, it's, I wouldn't exactly, it is kind of climate change in a way. Maine, state of Maine, is in an epic battle over its future. Voters could turn two private utilities into public goods. The corporations are fighting it tooth and nail by Bill McKibben in thenation.com. 
So this is a kind of an environmental article, I guess, if, if I was going to, you know, say something like that. So I mentioned something about this several weeks ago, about how the state of Maine seriously considering voting to turn the two private utility companies into one public entity to better manage the infrastructure and consumer costs. These two companies send a large portion of the utility payments out of the country to foreign investors, and the state wants that to stop. I hope they vote that in, as the poor folks in Maine need all the help they can get from the greedy corporations. And I say that from experience, because I used to live there, as I've said before, and I used to live in one of the poorest counties in the state. And I can, I can tell you, when I say poor, you really have no idea, unless you live there. And I got this next article from a Substack article called Normal Island News. It's from England. And the writer is Laurel Kay. And it's Rishi Sunak vows to destroy all of humanity to win election. This is quite literally a scorched earth policy. So she writes satirical articles, just so everybody knows. So it's, this is one of her articles about how the new British PM is scrubbing climate deals and returned England back to its feudal days, all for another chance at being the PM for a little while longer. Now, why does this sound so familiar? Could it be a playbook for other UK-mimicking nations? The American Republicans seem to be using a similar playbook, as do the Aussies. Certain Canadians are watching and waiting. You know, she talks about how the Prime Minister is rolling back environmental stuff over there now, all in a ditch to save money in the economy. Well, it, you know, we all know that's going to backfire one way or another. And that's what she's talking about. Now I got a Canadian article. And this is more of a people article than environmental in this case. Canada's QAnon queen forced out of Camp Saskatoon. Residents protested. RCMP escorted Romana Didaloo and her followers out of town last Wednesday by Nicholas Frew in CBC News. A story from a little rural prairie town in Saskatoon, Canada, about when a noted QAnon nut job rolled into town one day and the residents and authorities escorted them to the town line later that day. This Romano Didalu is a popular Canadian conspiracy theorist around Canada who is claiming to be the Queen of Canada and a First Nations leader wherever she goes up there. So I wonder where she got those ideas from. I would say a little bit too much of American social media. And now we're going to go back across the water again to Spain. And this is more of a human rights article um, in this case. There's been an ongoing story all over the place about Rubiales over in Spain, the, you know, the former soccer president over there who, who eventually got fired, basically, uh, for kissing the, you know, the soccer player over there. He's been given a restraining order denying wrongdoing after denying wrongdoing in front of the Spanish judge. State prosecutors formally accused former soccer president last week of sexual assault by Alicia Leon and Joseph Wilson in the Associated Press. And I got this one out of CBC. This has been, a, excuse me, this has been an ongoing story in the international news lately about the soccer president who kissed. Um, he eventually got fired, still denying he did anything wrong. Now, if that isn't the definition of misogyny and hubris, I don't know what is. Kuwaiti teen jailed for 15 years for brutal rape and murder of Filipino domestic worker. The death 
of Jubilee Ranara sparked outrage and put the spotlight back on the plight of migrant workers in Kuwait. Turkey Ayed al Azmi, 17, was arrested in January after police found Renara's charred body in a desert with her skull smashed. And this came out of www.scmp.com. Well, it's just another story from the old rich nations of the Middle East and their abuses of domestic and other foreign workers they are to do most of their menial labor now. As I've said, the foreign workers are treated a little better than slaves in places like Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and UAE because of their oil-rich arrogance and how they are so much better than everyone else over there. Even though the government gets upset with each other retaliate, nothing has really ever changed because places like the Philippines need the tax revenue and the oil countries refuse to go back to their Bedouin days. Until that master-slave mentality changes, more and more rapes and murders will continue. Think of how many crimes like this are not being reported from those countries. Australian state suspends human rights law to lock up more children. Rights defenders fear irreversible harm to children in Queensland after changes to justice system leave more under-18s in intention. And this came out of Al Jazeera. So I've talked more, you know, a lot, a lot here lately about the white majority citizens of Australia and around the world and how they're very racist. They've been that way for 100 years or, you know, hundreds of years. Not all, but a large portion of them in Australia are very bad. So there's another story that emphasizes this. The underage children here are majority indigenous and being subject, subjected to inhumane conditions while incarcerated. A lot of them just waiting to, for trial to determine they're even guilty of a natural crime. It seems the police in Queensland are overly racist and likely to lock up indigenous kids for the slightest suspicions. And that's not the only story that I've had here lately coming out of Queensland uh, about their treatment of people, which is not a good thing. So now we're going to go into education. School lunch debt. Apparently poor kids don't deserve to eat. Explain how these people sleep at night by Sam W. out of Eastern Canada. And I got this one out of her medium.com article. It's a good, no, this article is good timing with kids going back to school. And as she states, the U.S. federal COVID subsidy for little school lunches is getting ready to expire. That means a lot of hungry kids in public schools again. Let the bullying for being poor start all over again. I remember that, and it wasn't fun 50 years ago. I'm sure it's not any fun now. Her students reported her for a lesson on race. Can she trust them again? A story I got this morning out of Washington Post. Mary Wood's school reprimanded her for teaching a book by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Now she hopes her bond with students can survive South Carolina politics by Hannah Nattinson. So this, as I said, it came around today, and it's another one about how the changing face of school boards is once again chasing teachers out of classrooms for teaching about slavery and race relations. It's pretty sad to say that if this trend keeps going, a large portion of American students will be woefully ignorant of the outside world beyond their small rural communities and the country will suffer the consequences in the world at large. What I'm talking about here is these students who go out into the, who actually leave these little small, what do you call it, introverted communities and find out that there's a whole lot of stuff that they weren't taught. And it hurts them when they're going to colleges. It hurts them when they go to work outside their communities. 
and so on and so forth because they have no clue what's going on and the culture shock a lot of times is drastic. On the other hand, the education these kids are getting is really subpar. So they can't read. They can't write very well. Mathematics is really bad. So they're basically almost being forced to stay at home and uh, live in their communities they grew up in. So now we're going to go back overseas. U.S. soldiers face South Korea drug probe after police raid on army bases. From Gawan Bay and Jesse Yoon in CNN. So it's, it's the kind of story that's rarely talked about. The rampant drug problem that's plagued the U.S. armed forces since the 1960s and maybe even before that. South Korea has arrested two foreigners and passed about a dozen army personnel over to Army CID on the distribution of illegal drugs. I say illegal in South Korea. Drug use by service members has been a bane on the DOD since I can remember. And I was a career soldier. And the U.S. is touting its great military readiness. Doesn't seem to be so great if they can't stop the junior enlisted from getting high and affecting their ability to carry out their duties, like guarding against the North Korean invasion, which is why they're up there. You have to wonder how prevalent this is elsewhere on military outposts around the world. I happen to know that this is prevalent on bases around the world. I've read stories and heard stories of Special Forces soldiers taking drugs on their short deployments to Africa. Um, and, you know, in the Middle East, it's a lot harder to get drugs over there, but easy to get things like opium and hashish if you're in Afghanistan and are running around Pakistan, which we aren't right now. Um, but other countries, though, yeah, it's pretty hard to get. Now I'm going to give you a couple of environmental feel-good articles to round out my afternoon. A couple was sick of mowing. Now their wildflowers are a local attraction. We started this as not wanting to mow grass, never expecting it would become what it has, Jonathan Yako said about his Vermont field by Kathy Free in the Washington Post. A feel-good environmental story about a couple from New York who moved to Vermont, bought a house with some land, about five acres, they said. Mowing the grass ate up a whole day or so, so at the suggestion of a friend, they removed the grass and replanted it with wildflowers. Better for them as far as labor goes, and better for the environment as all the flowers provided a diverse landscape and for the, you know, for the birds and the bees. Now, I wish I could do that where I live, but my HOA won't let me. If a tree is planted, does it make a difference? These forest builders say yes. Despite myriad challenges, these small initiatives are changing the landscape by Jonathan Orr in CBC Radio. And again, I got this out of CBC News. So a couple of stories from CBC today about how just planting a, a few trees can make a difference. The first article, and it's all included in this link I got here, is about a small nonprofit working off of donations trying to plant trees in urban environments in Saskatchewan and Edmonton. And Edmonton's in Alberta. And the second article is from a First Nation chief replanting after wildfires destroyed everything in 2017. To say that everyone who can should try to replant trees everywhere to bring the land back to where it was. This applies to everywhere on earth. So if you got the ability to plant trees, I say do so. My wife and I plant trees all around my little plot of land in my subdivision. We're trying to fill it up as much as we can. Flowers and trees as much as we can get. I joked with her last week uh, with a friend 
about my wife turning, uh, turning our yard into a botanical garden, which I really hope she does. I don't mind the work. AOC, Alexandria Cortez, a Republican representative, Senator, I forget what she is because I don't pay attention to her that much, to headline rally at New York Climate March ahead of UN Summit. March on Sunday will cap a week of more than 650 global actions and is expected to be the largest U.S. climate march in five years. And this came out of the Guardian.com U.S. News by Darna Noor and agencies, whatever that is. This is being touted as the biggest climate rally in five years and includes several noted guests. Let's hope it starts and ends peacefully. They did arrest a few people up there. I read later. So that's all I have for the first half. And now it's time for me to take my break. Listen, you guys get to listen to my advert about my website. And I'm going to go get a drink of water. Then we're going to come back from the second half. So I will tell you, the second half is a little bit long because, as I said, I have the author of an article that's very important to what my theme is. And it's a little bit lengthy because she reads it to you. It is a story, though. It is a fictional story, but it applies to everything that we're doing. So I will be back in a couple of minutes. I want to take this break to bring attention to my website, crombiha.com. You may use the link in the newsletters to find it for the first time, as the name is in Gaelic and a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like what I write, you can get a notice whenever I post something new. Within the website, there is a homepage where you can learn a little more about what Crombieha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little bit more about me in general. I have a blog page where I post copies of my online blog articles and stories and a copy of the weekly podcast newsletters. I also have a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts and Spotify, a page with links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you enjoy reading short stories, poetry, and blog articles from great writers around the world, I recommend Medium and Substack as great choices to find what you like to read about most and dive in as much as you want. Disclaimer, if you want to read my complete articles and stories in Medium.com, you will need to sign up for a subscription of $5 a month or $50 a year. I offer everything for free for one month in Substack. Then it's $5 a month or $30 a year with an advert to sign up on my web pages. These are the minimums these companies will allow me to charge, unfortunately. All the stories, poetry, and newsletters I write will be available in the blog section of my website if you don't want to subscribe to anything. If you like what you see, feel free to leave a message in the comment page anytime. I will respond very quickly via email. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. This week I want to talk about racism some more and the fight to defeat this sense of white exceptionalism I mentioned last week. 
not just here in the United States, but everywhere the white colonists set root and created a world for themselves at the deadly expense of the inhabitants already there. Today, I'm focusing on North America and Australia. Australia, because they're gearing up for a national vote to amend their constitution, is to allow a constitutionally protected indigenous voice to parliament to enable Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have a say in the law and policy that affects their daily lives through an advisory board representing the diversity of the First Nations communities. In Australia, voting is mandatory, and a citizen could be arrested for not voting or not having a valid excuse to not vote. So this is very important. But some of the older white population are fighting it, along with some of the indigenous peoples. The white people are against it on racist principles, and some Aboriginal advocates are against it because they want reparations and a couple of hundred years of injustice is answered for. In North America, racism is rampant and gaining new ground again, emboldened by the last president. GOP-led states are enacting new laws constantly now to restrict African Americans and the LGBTQ plus communities and Latinos from participating in any part of their society. Draconian laws and measures are being implemented to discourage asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants from entering the country and becoming citizens. As I said previously, the white Anglo-Saxon descendants are afraid of becoming enough of a minority that they will lose the power to control the countries they are in now and in charge of. Canada, the most liberal of the three, is having its own internal debates about their welcoming policies as they have been overwhelmed and have nowhere to put them all. The same could be said for the U.S. and Australia. There's been a lot of articles in Australia lately about them being overwhelmed with refugees. Even though the welcome mat was put out in Canada and Australia, they now have so many arrivals with more coming every week, they have no capacity to take care of them. No food, no housing, no jobs, basic necessities. A lot of them are homeless as states and provinces struggle to provide for them, and that's especially true here in the United States. This is why there is so much anger from the right side of the political spectrum. Mostly white people, but quite a few are from the darker-skinned people as well. They see the influx as a threat to their livelihoods. They are afraid of becoming poor like them and losing the idea of the American dream. But as I said in the first half in that article from Belin Fernandez, the American dream is just a myth. Unless you live in, in the woods somewhere, everyone knows that the Northern Hemisphere has seen this influx of migrants moving north or south in the case of Australia. The wealthiest nations are the biggest targets regardless whether they have the capacity to take care of them. The migrants don't know that. All they know is what the smugglers and what the disinformation on social media tells them about these places. Then you have the First Nations people in Australia, Canada, and the U.S. They have been persecuted since diverse Europeans set foot on their shores and still are to this day. Factions in Australia want to mend fences and make, the make their government more inclusive. Canada set up their own reconciliation program with their First Nations people. The U.S., not so much. They have made inroads, but nowhere close to the other two countries. Australia stands to make history with this referendum if they can educate everyone and get it passed. The young people are all for it. It's the older folks who don't want change or want justice for the dead and past abuses. In the U.S., racism is interwoven into the American Dream Society and its constitution. This will always hinder reforms until the white Anglo-Saxons become so few in numbers that the other cultures will take over and make the needed changes. But they are far away from even thinking about that now. 
the U.S. is on the verge of another civil war over ideologies. This time it will be about the extreme white Christian ideologies versus everyone else. Their argument is that the U.S. was founded by white Christians, so it should be a wholly white Christian nation in its social mores and government institutions. They are a minority, but the majority of the rest of the people are either apathetic or too busy trying to survive every day to care enough to raise a big enough fuss. Yet. This goes back to the rising homelessness in the country. More and more citizens and non-citizens are too busy struggling to survive to the next paycheck that politics is only important in that they want a political savior to lift them out of their miserable lives. In the U.S., anyone with any qualifications and sense of patriotism is running away from elected offices, leaving the open vacancies to the crazies. The poor rural folks will vote for anyone who promises them relief from their poverty which is why there is so much corruption and divisiveness going on in their government institutions. The extremists promised their constituents that they would lift them out of their miseries and bring back the old America, the land where Native Americans, African Americans, Latinos, and foreigners knew their place, and all the white people were the exceptional people ordained by their Christian God to rule over them all. The same could be said for a lot of white people in Australia, Canada, and parts of Europe. They think that they are the exceptional people and ordained to rule over everyone that dares to enter their countries. I, for one, wish there, I were going to be around when this changing of the guard takes place someday. It will, mark my words. It may be a violent change of command, though, as the world is getting a taste of what's to come. These white Anglo-Saxon descendants of the Europeans are not going to pass the torch without a fight over skin-colored supremacy. Now, I have this fictional story that highlights how certain Americans have become emboldened lately to make America great again, or the acronym MAGA, M-A-G-A, which means white Christians rule and everyone else is considered an inferior species. It's being read by the author, and she does a way better job of reading this than I ever could. I now have a reading standard to aspire to in the future. The article is entitled Old Justice, New World by Danielle... Mustafa, a short story, if Amer American democracy ceased to move forward as a living force, seeking day and night by peaceful means to better the lot of our citizens, fascism will grow in strength in our land, by Franklin Roosevelt. Old Justice, New World, by Danielle Mustafa. Grands, hi. It's Cody, here to take you to the doctor. Are you ready? Cody rushes into his grandma's house, yelling to her and talking on the phone. Slamming the door, he continues his phone conversation. Yeah, Saturday night is perfect. I have a way to get into the library and no one will even be thinking about the place but us. We will have plenty of time to get rid of what doesn't deserve to be there with no interference. They will never know what happened. <laughs> cameras? Why would you think a library would have cameras? Who do you think is stealing the books, stupid? Look, man, it's too late to back out now. This fight will never end. No, it's men like you, cowards, that words like treason were made for. You either fight for this country or become part of the problem. Man, what? Are you some lefty woke punk now? Your job as an American 
is to defend our American ways. That starts with the children. They don't need the stuff that they are being taught from those books on that list, and that's why we are burning them up on Saturday night. Are you a protector of the children, or are you one of the groomers? Don't make up excuses for your cowardice now, Blake. Look, man, figure out what side of history you plan to be on, the righteous or the wrong. I'm at my granny's now. Call me back when you get your nuts back in their sack. Cody plopped onto the couch as his grandma was helped from the back of the house by her home health aide, Maricel. Here we are, Mrs. Stewart. Right into your coat to leave, or do you need a rest? Guinea Stewart is slight of build. Osteoporosis has bent her gracefully, but at 84, she is still strong of mind, if weak of body. No, Maricel. Cody is on time today, so he can help me from here. Besides, I want to talk a spell with my grandson. Very well, Mrs. Stewart. Good afternoon, Mr. Stewart. Yeah, Cody says as he looks anywhere but at Maricel, As though she'd been physically struck by his single word lack of a greeting, she turns back to her charge. Mrs. Stewart, I will go now then. Are you still certain you want to cancel the rest of my time today? You have me until 9 p.m. five days a week. It's not yet two. I'm sure. My daughter will be here tonight, and I have Cody this afternoon. I will be fine. But fetch my walker before you go to enjoy the afternoon off. Maricel goes back to the rear of the small house as Guinea focuses on her grandson. Cody boy, how are you? I haven't seen you in almost a month. Maricel comes back with the walker and tries to hand it to Cody. He stares at her without taking it. She nervously puts it against the wall while looking back at him. Have a good day, Mari. The women smile as Maricel nods and leaves. Boy, what was that? I'm not a boy, Grands. Didn't we talk last month about you getting rid of the gook? I thought it would be gone by now. Cody, what the hell, boy? That is the best home nurse I've had. She will stay as long as she is willing. You will stop being so rude. What is wrong with you? So what, she is Filipino. And? Did she call you a cracker or a thing? Then you button up that foul language right now. She is taking good jobs from real Americans. A white person would take better care of you, Grands. She was born in Boston and has taken a mediocre job to deal with an old woman and her insulting grandson, Heaven help her. Grandma, I don't want to fight. You will be better off with someone, uh, blonder. Should we head out? I don't think Mari's hair color is your problem, Cody. We don't have to leave just yet. The appointment isn't for another hour. Let's catch up. What did I hear you planning when you got here? Having a party at the library? That would be nice. 
Um, uh, not a party, Grins. I'm planning to end the assault on the minds of our youth by the library. Guinea considers his words a moment and then shrugs her shoulders. Okay, there are a bunch of books in the library that promote homosexuality, premarital sex, trans crap, and they say that us white people deserve to be punished just for being white. We have gotten a lot of them out of the schools, but the school bans mean nothing at the public libraries. We want to correct the problem by taking them out ourselves. Understand? Guinea, mouth agape, stares at her grandson. Eventually, she finds her words. Who is we? Which books? What do you mean by taking them out? To do what's with, Cody? Last year, I joined the local branch of the Patriot Front. I thought we'd just burn them in the parking lot. That's what a church in Tennessee did with the banned books. I figure if we tossed them, some left wokest would just take them back into the library. Burn them? You want to burn books? My daddy fought in World War II and my grandson wants to burn books? Heaven help me, my progeny has gone the way of Hitler. What's next? You guys planning to purge all the non-whites from the country as well? Uh, no. But it would be real nice if you got the gook out of your house like I told you to. You don't tell me to do anything. I refused your suggestion. This is crazy, Cody. Stop it before you get into trouble. There won't be any trouble. History will thank us for standing up for the American way. Look, I have a list of 50 books that are harming our kids. Read this. Read it. You will see. It's a bunch of filthy trash. He produces a tattered sheet from his pocket and Guinea reads, getting more and more irate the further down the list she gets. Cody? No. This is not a list of filth. Have you read any of these? Why would I read the filth? Tucker Carson agrees with this list. Sean Hannity agrees with this list. Ben Shapiro agrees with this list. Well, dear, you just listed filth, but this list is not the filth. Look, honey, this one, Killing Mr. Griffin... I bought it for your dad when he was a kid. This one? The Handmaid's Tale. This is a TV show now. Here is Beloved by one of my favorite authors, Toni Morrison. This one? This one here? Sold by Patricia McCormick. While not a favorite of mine, is harmless. Honey, it's about a Nepalese girl sold into slavery. Why destroy the life's work of so many, Cody? Especially on the words of others. Read them yourself, then pass judgment. Cody stands, retrieving the walker perched on the wall and yanks Guinea from the couch by her arm. You're, you're hurting me, son. Okay, look, Grandma. I am fighting to protect you 
and my mom from what America is becoming. As women, you need to stop questioning me and allow me to complete this mission. You need to heed my warnings and get that girl out of your house. Let her be with her own. Mine will be fine without her. I'm fighting for you, woman, and you seem to be on the side of treason. You are not fighting for me. None of this is of me. This is all just wrong. Cody, you are still hurting me. Let me go, please. Cody did not realize he still had his grandmother by the arm. He did not realize that he was now squeezing that arm out of frustration with her lack of understanding. He is doing this to better America. Why can she not see that? He releases her arm. Grands, let's go. You will be late to the doctor. Patricia, you don't understand. He all but dragged me to the car. He scared me. The whole drive, he kept telling me to mind my own business or else. Or else? What does that mean? He threatened. He threatened his own grandmother. Guinea and her daughter Patricia are sitting in the kitchen. Patricia washes the after-dinner dishes while Guinea... And distraught over Cody's behavior, has spoken of nothing else all night. Mom, threatened me. Threatened me over what? His plan to break the laws of decency because Tucker Carlson told him to do it? Tucker Carlson? What a stupid name. Tucker, stupid name for a stupid man. Mom... Or better yet, Benjamin Shapiro. Benjamin Shapiro. A Jewish boy, perfectly fine with a return to Nazi ideals. What has happened to America, Pat? Pat, when did it change to... to this? Mom, calm down. Mind your blood pressure. Matt has been complaining about this political change in Cody for a few years now. It, it started when he graduated. Now at 23, he's fully out of pocket. He scares his mom, too. He told his daddy that blacks need to learn their place, and if you can't see that, dad, then you are part of the problem. Matt called me nearly in tears to ask what he should do. He's too old to send to a fix-my-kid camp, so I had no idea what to tell him. Guinea is flabbergasted. You two told me none of this. We didn't want to worry you. I, well, I mean, you have so much on your plate, Ma, between the doctor's visits and the, the osteoporosis, losing dead, so you didn't tell me. Because I'm old, I was excluded from helping my family make decisions because I'm old. I'm disappointed in you both. No, no, all three of you. I'm disappointed in all three of you because I must include Cody, my racist, book-burning, hot-headed grandson. 
Cody. Patricia tries to talk, presumably to comfort her mother. Guinea raises a hand for silence, sighs, and begins to comb through her memories aloud. Patty, she starts slowly. I was a very little girl when when President Truman desegregated the armed forces. That was 1948. I was still a little girl in 54 when the courts decided Brown versus the Board of Education to desegregate the schools. That was actually five different cases they rolled into one. I remember the the Little Rock Nine proving that that job still wasn't done. In 55, I remember when they murdered Emmett Till and I cried at the pictures in the paper. So much evil. So much pain. Mom, no, I'm not done yet. In 1961... I couldn't just watch the evil of my United States anymore. I wanted, I needed to affect change. Remember the freedom riders from your history class? I was there, pet. Your granddad wanted to kill me, but I needed to change my world. 1963's March on Washington, I was there. 65's Bloody Sunday, present. I gave the lives of my friends to see this country change, Pat. I gave of myself to see this country change. Remember when you were little and you used to talk about that scar on my leg? Honey, I got that when they attacked us getting on and off the buses as a freedom rider. Have you ever noticed this scar on my arm? a glancing blow from a stick on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 65. I bled in Selma for the causes I believed in, and my grandson, my grandson, would live to undo them. I have failed. Mom, you never told us any of this. Why? (laughs) My mom made me promise I would not. She felt it would ensure my kids went off the rails, if you knew. She thought that she was protecting her grandkids. Funny, since I was unable to protect mine. Patricia moves to her mother, taking Guinea's hands into her own. I always knew I had a remarkable mother. I just didn't know how remarkable. I'm sorry I implied you were too old to be helpful. I have a feeling you are the most helpful of us all, and I almost lived my whole life without knowing it. I'm proud of you, Ma. Oh, thank you, Patty. But that's not helping Cody not ruin his life. We have three days till his fiasco at the library. I got a criminal record as a Negro ally. But what will he get for his plan? It will likely be so much worse. Ma? I plan to call the police and report it before it happens. Good. That is excellent. But I just got a better idea. And I'm going to need your help. Call Matthew, too. We may as well get his daddy in on this. 
Dressed in black, three different groups totaling ten people head to the library from different directions. As Cody's group crosses onto the library property, they see signs for a celebration of Band Book Week. Apparently, they decided to give away free copies of some of the filth on his list. Just as well. Now they won't need to find the crap on the shelves. It should all be in one spot. He really wasn't in a Dewey Decimal System mood anyway. Cody's group is in charge of actually breaking in. The second group is prepping the fire area in the parking lot. The third group is in the trees between the building and the parking lot, ready to cart the books out of the building as quickly as possible. It's all planned. Ready to make history, guys? <laughs> Let's do this. While doing recon yesterday, Cody unlocked a window near the rear of the building. Just in case they locked it back, he also unlocked a restroom window near the same place. But if he needed to, he would just break the glass. Reaching the back of the building, he tests his first choice break-in point, and it's thankfully still unlocked. Idiots. He motions to get a boost, and he gains entry. After helping his buddies inside through the same window, they head for the side door where the bulk of the group waits to carry books out. Crossing the main vestibule, Cody notices some of the furniture has been moved. The open reading area is now void of seats. What was yesterday a room of 20 or more tables with chairs and several couches is now a single couch shrouded in darkness. I never dreamed I'd need to camp out in a library just to talk with my son. The sonorous voice of Matthew echoed in the empty room, startling the three young men as the lights came on. Matthew and Guinea sit on the couch. Stay here, fellas. Your buddies outside have made some new friends as well, so you may as well keep us company here, says Guinea. Grandma, you called the cops on us? How could you? I did no such thing, says Guinea. Why would I call the cops on my beloved grandbaby? I don't need the cops when I have so many friends. From every corner, from behind every bookcase, from down the stairs to the second floor came wave after wave of people. Most walked slowly on canes or walkers. A few were pushed in wheelchairs. Nearly all had signs or wore shirts decrying the practice of burning books. All were dressed head to toe in white. Son, I fought too hard for all people to have basic human rights for you to become a force of evil in this world. Standing with the assistance of her walker, Guinea continues, I love you too much to allow you to walk this path unchallenged. You showed me this week that I was not strong enough to challenge you alone. But dear, I was never alone. The only civil response to your baby fascism is to call it out. We are over a hundred here tonight to call it out. Fascist, Grandma? What the heck are you talking about? We aren't German. We are proud Americans here to help America be the great country it once was again. This is one step 
one step in getting it back on track to greatness and keeping it that way through the children, our future. Teach them the right way and they shall not stray. Fascism, a political philosophy, movement, or regime that exalts nation and often race above the individual. Grandma, just stop. A government ruled by a dictator who controls the lives of the people in that society and allows no dissent or disagreement, Matthew chimes in. From several places in the crowd, we hear government by one ruler, a small group, or a single party, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, thought suppression, government without the people. Matthew calls for quiet. A government where ideas are killed to control the people, says Guinea. The books you boys want to destroy are mere ideas. What would you have said if Thomas the Tank Engine would banned when you were seven? Thomas didn't make me hate my own country, Grandma. Teaching things like slavery is bad does make these kids question America. And what's wrong with the questioning? Without questions, America would still be a colony or possibly never discovered at all. Questions move society, Cody. Matthew chimes in. Cody, you were asking questions that led you to this course of action. If being better informed leaves you in the same place, then we can agree to disagree. But before you do something that will forever affect your life, son, can we look at the answers to your questions together as a family? Cody, says Guinea, understand this, please. There is no scenario where you get to burn books tonight. I will not, no, we will not allow it to happen. I can't protect all the books on your list everywhere, but I can protect the ones here. How many boys are outside, son? Seven. Yeah, no burning tonight. Most of us may be old, but we are bold and we are ready. You won't attack democracy tonight. So now I got a couple of articles here from Australia, and I'm not going to read them to you. I'm going to give you the headlines. I'm an Uluru youth ambassador because I don't want to tell my grandchildren how close we got to real change by Kashaya Delaney in TheGuardian.com. And in the next one, I have three generations of First Nations men share their views on Australia's referendum by Hillary Whiteman in CNN. My last article for you came out of theguardian.com today. Well, yesterday. A plaque on a statue can't cover a cruel slave trader's mass murder. My ancestors deserve better by Robert Beckford. Big thing is he's Jamaican. And what he's talking about here is a statue. It's got a prominent place in London, England. And it's a tribute to a wealthy English landowner from the 18th century. And it's a direct front to all of the American African slaves he had a hand in killing in Jamaica. 
There's nothing glorious about this man, William Beckford, other than that he used his ill-gotten wealth to further his fortunes among the wealthy elite of English society back then, just like so many others of his time. And that's all I have for you this week. I hope I've enlightened you with my stories and thoughts. So I'm going to close out my show with my question and last thoughts. Think about this vote in Australia a little bit and ask yourself, do you consider yourself an inclusive person or exclusive exclusive person? Would you be willing to work towards a future where all the world's peoples can be included in all decisions about climate change and dealing with refugees seeking a better life than starving or escaping the factional violence where they came from? Give that some thought while you go through your next few days. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll return again for another episode of the Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. Just search for the Village Oak Tree in your favorite podcast app. I hope I've achieved my goal on helping you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree today. As a Shawnee Key, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness go through your door. Shlongo Foyle, which means goodbye for now in Irish.